0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now we've got our big three. We have got Willie Randolph, Terry Collins, and Bobby Valentine. So it's tough because Willie Randolph, when he was here, and he was here for two and a half seasons, From a wins and loss standpoint, it's tough to argue. The Mets won a ton of games in 2006, one of the best teams of our lifetime. They did collapse in 07. How much of that is on Willie? A little bit. And then he struggled in 08 to the point where the Mets finally decided, let's make a change. Here's what hurts about 06 for Willie that Terry Collins doesn't have and Bobby Valentine doesn't have. When the New York Mets won those two pennants of 2000 and 2015, they did it with low expectations. They didn't do it with a belief that the Mets were going to win the pennant. We did not go into the postseason thinking, boy, they better win the pennant. We did more so in 2000 because we had been close a year earlier. But even then, you kind of looked at Atlanta and said, we're not as good. We'll give it our best try, but we're not as good. Fortunately, the Mets got lucky. The Braves got picked off by the Cardinals. Bada boom, we're in the World Series. But my point is going into those postseasons We were not considered to be favorites. The problem Willie has is that in 2006, despite the injuries, despite El Duque, you know, tearing his calf or whatever he tore as he's jogging in the outfield before the playoffs are about to begin, despite the fact that Pedro Martinez was a non-option, despite all that, the Mets went into the postseason in 06, not just as favorites. They went in as monumental favorites. It was the only time in our lifetime, that fans, Unless you remember 86. You remember 86? Okay, it's different. You remember 88? Fine, it's different. It was the only year of our lifetime where the New York Mets went into the postseason as monstrous favorites. Think about what the National League was that year. No other team won more than 88 games. The Mets won 97 games that year. The next highest win total in the NL was 88 by the Padres and Dodgers. 83 by the Cardinals. 85 by the Phillies who didn't even make the playoffs. So when we played the Dodgers in the first round, it was a you better beat this team, and we did. When they played the St. Louis Cardinals in the NLCS, an 83-win team who barely made the playoffs, the expectation was we better beat this team. And there were moves from that NLCS that still haunt me. Now, I'll give you one, and this one is a, it's one of those 50-50 moves, I have to admit. I argue about it. I said it to my dad at the time at Chase Stadium, but I also admit all these years later, I see both sides. I'm, I understand why Willie made the decision he made. But Cliff Floyd as a pinch hitter versus Tom Glavin laid down as a, laid down a bunt as a pinch hitter bothered me in the moment. Because when Cliff Floyd came up in that spot with two on and nobody out, trailing by two runs in the bottom of the ninth inning of game seven, I feared a double play. Now, maybe Willie was envisioning a three-run home run, but I was fearing because he can't run. There's a reason why Cliff was coming off the bench. I feared a double play. Cliff struck out looking, thank God. And then you could argue the inning would have played out the same way. Jose Reyes lined out the center field. I'll never forget it. Off the bat, I thought, oh, my God, this could go up the alley. Jim Edmonds got a good jump on it. LaDuca drew the walk. And then that's set up. Carlos Beltran obviously striking out with the bases loaded. So even if I got my way and Glavin lays the bunt down, second and third one out for Reyes, it, line out the same, assuming it plays out the same way. I know it, you can't assume it. I'm just trying to rationalize it. The other decision, which I understood, but I was sick as it was happening was Aaron Heilman coming out for a second inning in game seven. He didn't trust Billy Wagner. Now I didn't trust Billy Wagner. So I admit. Like, at the time, I was getting it because I my trust on Billy Wagner was gone by that point. But Aaron Heilman coming out for the ninth in a 1-1 game, if you're not using your closer then, a future Hall of Famer in Billy Wagner, then what does that say about how you feel about Billy Wagner? And we know what happened. Heilman strikes out Jim Edmonds, gives up a single to Roland, Yachty hits the home run, good night. So those two things just they stick out in my memory. But what's tough for Willie is they lost a series they could not lose. They could not lose that series. If they win that game, where are we ranking him? Is it the same for me? Is it still behind Terry and Bobby? Maybe. Maybe it still is because all they did was fulfill their expectations. But Game 7 and losing that series in general, and you could argue they lost that series in Game 2. Let's not forget. I mean, the Mets had Game 2 in their back pocket. They had a 6-4 lead in the seventh inning of Game 2. They're about to go up 2-0. And to be fair about this, the other reason why they lost this series in Game 2 is not just because they lost Game 2 and they had a lead in it before Scott Spezio hit that triple against Guillermo Mota, but that's where he lost faith in Billy Wagner. Think about this. Billy Wagner came into a tie game in the top of the ninth inning of Game 2. Right, Very similar to tie game, top of the ninth inning, Game 7. And that's when Soto Gucci hit a home run off of him. And that's when he also imploded because he gave up another double to Scott Spezio, another base hit. He gave up three runs that inning. He had to pull him out of the game. He couldn't even get through the ninth inning. Mets are down 9-6. That's it. They lose. So a part of why... They lost game seven or a part of why Willie stuck with Aaron Heilman for a second inning in game seven goes directly back to what happened in game two. So Willie Randolph is number three. So let's get down to TC and Bobby. I don't think it's close. I got to be honest with you. I don't think it's close. And I mean this with as much respect for Terry Collins as I can. I was very tough on Terry when he managed this team. I don't overall think he was this great, brilliant manager. But Terry Collins accomplished something like that I am still so thrilled I was able to witness as a Met fan. You know, even though would I scream and yell about his bullpen management? Sure. Did he not have four losing seasons before it was finally put together in 2015? Sure. But I think his fiery personality, his handling of that locker room, and it was not easy, especially with that Matt Harvey situation towards the end of the season, the emergence, the reemergence of David Wright keeping that team together as they were really bumbling before they made the trades for Uribe, Kelly Johnson, and Yohannes Espinis. He deserves a lot of credit for that. He also, I thought, pulled off one of the ballsiest managerial moves I could remember, and I give a golf clap for Terry Collins for this. (laughs) Keeping Jacob DeGrom in Game 5 of the DS against the Dodgers. As much of a DeGrom stan as I am, that's the night DeGrom became a god. That's the night he became the man. As great as he was in game one of that series, as solid as he was during that regular season, as much as he'd already proven in the two, excuse me, the two years he was a met. It was how he battled through game five and the poise of Terry Collins in a winner take all game to stick with him. Cause there were many times in that game five where I'm screaming at the TV, get him out, get him out. And Terry stuck with him. And he pushed all the right buttons in that game five. And that is not an easy game. See, it's the opposite of what we faced in 06. We were not expected to win that game. We we're not expected to win that series. And a big part of why they won that series was the poise of Terry Collins. So despite everything else I've said about him, I call it like it is. I thought he put on, uh, <coughs> what do they call that when you put on? Not a chess match. Whatever. He did something brilliant in Game 5. A masterclass. That's what I was looking for. He put together a masterclass in Game 5 against LA. But I have a very difficult time forgiving him for Game 5 of the World Series. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I know that City Field was rocking and they wanted Matt Harvey to come back out. They needed Matt Harvey to come back out and pitch that ninth inning. I was with my wife, I was with my dad, And I said to both of them, and I said to the people around me, I disagree. Jairus Familia needs a clean inning. Jairus Familia has now struggled in this World Series. He did not struggle in the LCS and the Divisional Series. Jairus Familia got a six-out save with like a microscopic lead against the Dodgers in Game 5 of the Divisional Series on the road. He pulled a Rivera. But now he's struggling in the World Series. I needed him to have that clean inning. So Matt Harvey comes out, I disagree with it, All everybody in the ballpark wanted it, fine. Fine. Once he walks Lorenzo Cain, Terry Collins has to get his ass out there and get him out of the game. That's the move that sticks with me more than any other managerial move in the history of this franchise, at least that I witnessed. So I give him a lot of credit for Game 5 with the Dodgers, I give him a ton of credit for even getting to the World Series, the Mets overachieved that year, not just winning in the playoffs, but even winning the division. Because that thing could have flown away from them in the middle of July before they made the key trades that they made for Uribe Johnson and obviously the big one for Joannis Espinis. I give him a lot of credit for that season. That season, managerial-wise, is one of the best we've seen from a manager. That doesn't mean I can't ignore the four previous seasons or I can't ignore what happened in the World Series. But that move still haunts me. I'll give you, for everybody listening who is in favor of Harvey pitching the ninth, I'll give you, let him start the inning. I disagree, but I'll give it to you. You cannot argue that once he walks Kane, you got to go to Familia to face Eric Cosmer. You cannot have Matt Harvey face Eric Cosmer. And he did, and he gave up a line drive that still is haunted in my brain to left field that kept cutting away, cutting away, and bounced. And boom, the Royals are all set up. 2016, another pretty good year by Terry. Overachieved made the playoffs. I don't really have any managerial critiques from that wild card game. I did think about walking Gillespie to get to Bumgarner. (laughs) With the thought being, all right, Bumgarner's got a good stick. He may beat us, but maybe Bochy actually pinch hits for Bumgarner. I doubt it. We can get his ass out the game. Thought about it at the time, but I don't hold that for Terry. And then obviously 2017 was a disaster. It was just time to go. Terry Collins, the second best Mets manager in my lifetime. And then we get to number one, and i got to be honest with you, it ain't close. It is not close. Bobby Valentine was the best manager in the history of the Mets for my lifetime, excluding the guys that won titles. It was before me. I'm not putting Bobby above Davey or Gil, but for me, he's the best manager I saw. And it's very, very simple why. On a nightly basis, I truly felt like my manager knew more than your manager. On a nightly basis, I was confident that my manager was not going to be outmanaged. The other thing that Bobby managed to do is I thought he overachieved basically every year of his tenure until the very end when it was time to go. And sometimes it's time to go. Sometimes your clock expires. And, and a part of me is surprised that with Valentine's personality, he even lasted as long as he did. There's a part of me that thinks that. Because Bobby Valentine managed for seven years, which is like an eternity in managerial years. So he takes over late 96 for Dallas Green. Okay, whatever. Finished 12-19, and no big deal. It is what it is. 1997 was one of the great overachievements in the history of the franchise. They won 88 games. They won 88 games. They did that with a banged-up Todd Hundley. With John Olerud, which was a key, key addition. They did that with Fonzie being real good. But what was the rest of the team? Lance Johnson came back to earth. Bernard Gilkey had a terrible year. Ray Ordonez was a liability offensively, as great defensively as he was. Carlos Bayergo was washed. Like, how did they actually do it? Rick Reed emerged into a poor man's Greg Maddox. But look at the rotation. The rotation was Rick Reed, Dave Malicki, Bobby Jones, Mark Clark, and Armando Reynoso. Like how the hell did the Mets win eighty eight games? I don't understand that. I don't know. I don't know how they pulled it off. They were sort of in a pennant race. They had some miracle wins late in the season. They weren't fully in the pennant race. It was more on the precipice of the pennant race. But they won eighty-eight games. Nineteen ninety eight was the black mark. They trade for Piazza. Piazza was mostly great upon coming here, but they collapsed down the stretch of the season. And that can't be forgotten. They lost their last five games and blew an opportunity to make the postseason. So at that point, you know, after the overachievement, yeah, it's 88 wins, but now you start to question, okay, Bobby can do a lot with a little, but can he take that next step? And in 1999, it looked like they were collapsing again, which is sort of crazy to think about. In middle of September, They're getting swept by the Braves. They're getting swept by the Phillies. I was in Philly when they lost that finale on a Sunday afternoon. They had lost seven in a row. So despite being over 90 wins and having this great win total, they were collapsing again. And then Bobby and the Mets turned it all around by sweeping the Pirates, by winning the one-game playoff against Cincinnati, by somehow beating the Diamondbacks in the Divisional Series. That was a year... Where Bobby took that next step. And the team took the next step, obviously. It's not just all the manager. But they overcame the collapse. They make the playoffs. They shocked the Diamondbacks. And then, to a degree, shocked the Braves down 3-0. Even forcing a sixth game. So that's now when the faith in Bobby has been restored. We know about happens in 2000. There was a lot of luck involved not having to beat the Atlanta Braves. But they still won the pennant. With a team that when you look at that roster and you look at the talent on that team, especially who was playing in the outfield, it's kind of amazing that they got that far. 0-1 was a disappointment, but they finished strong and actually got back into a pennant race late in the season. 0-2, the disaster that it was. There is no move that Bobby made that sticks out with me as bad. In fact, the one big controversial move, I guess, was at the end of Game 5 of the World Series in 2000 when he continued to leave Al Leiter in. He let Al Leiter try to finish that game, game five of the World Series. He had John Franco warming up in the bullpen, and he continued to allow Al to throw an ungodly amount of pitches that night. Al Leiter threw 142 pitches. And as I sat there that night at Chase Stadium, I do remember turning to my dad saying, you keep Allen. This is Al Leiter's game. So I don't know if that makes me a hypocrite, because you think about Matt Harvey 15 years later, but in this case, I wanted Al in the game. Now think back to what happened. It's a tie game in the top of the ninth inning. Strikes out the first two guys he sees, Tino and Paul O'Neill. He walks Posada, gives up a hit to Broches. Two on, two out. Top of the ninth inning. Luis Rojas at the plate. Did you really want Al Leiter out of the game? Like anybody out there, were you were you screaming at the TV or at the ballpark? Get Al out. I didn't want Al out. I wanted Al in. And I've said that to Al Leiter to this day. You know, one guy I trusted. No offense to John Franco. It was just more this is Al Leiter's game. I trusted Al Leiter in that spot. And he gives up the roller to Luis Rojas up the middle. Luis Rojas. Luis Soho. <laughs> Luis Soho up the middle. So for me, Bobby Valentine, number one. Now, you may say to yourself, but you left someone out. You left out Buckshow Walter. There's a reason I left out Buckshow Walter. And I do this with presidents all the time. I need time. I need, I need like a year or two to digest it, to see how I feel about it, to see like, does a year removal from Buck or two years removed from Buck change how I view where he ranks in med history? Cause I do think what affects these rankings, and I say this all the time about seasons and I feel this way about managers is what happens next. Who is the next MET manager? What is the next MET manager? How do they do? What do they do? What's the results? like? If the Mets win the World Series in 2024, doesn't that hurt Buck's rankings, <laughs> if we're being honest with each other? So if you want to include Buck in your very own rankings when you email us at the RicohB at gmail.com, be my guest. But I like to give it like a deep breath. So I'll make you this promise. One year from today, November 2024, we will have a very quick amendum to this list that I created, and I will place Buck Showalter somewhere on this list. I need a year. I need a year to let it digest and let it breathe. But we do appreciate you listening to this little bonus edition of Rico Bronia. Coming up in a couple of days, we are going to preview the starting pitching market. We go deep into what starters they can add via trade, what they can add via uh, free agency, and what they already have. A very deep look into starting pitching. And a lot more Ricos along the way, especially when there's breaking news, as this offseason begins. We appreciate you listening and downloading. You can email anytime, RicoB at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronio Podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all
1: times. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best